Welcome to the Whitefields Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, including location and service times, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. If you are blessed by this message, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. Today's message comes from our series, Grace and Truth, a study of the book 1 Corinthians. Here's Pastor Nick. Would you please bow your heads with me and let's pray as we get into our study of God's Word. Lord, we thank you for your Word, and we thank you that you want to speak to us. Lord, we want to be people who have ears to hear and who are attentive and receptive to what you have to say. So Lord, would you give us soft, formable, receptive hearts, and Lord, help us to receive this message and respond appropriately. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. It was the biggest city in the world. In fact, it was the biggest city that had ever existed in the history of the world up until that point. And for 1,000 years to come after that point, no other city would ever come close to being as big as the city of Rome. At the time of Jesus, there were one million people living in the city of Rome. And having a city that big created a lot of logistical challenges, as you can imagine. And one of the biggest challenges that it created was this question, how do you provide clean drinking water for all of those people? And here's what the Romans figured out to to provide clean drinking water for a million people. They created a system of metal pipes. It's actually incredible. They created a plumbing system of metal pipes. And through those metal pipes, they were able to bring in water to the city of Rome from even hundreds of miles away. And not only did they bring water into the city of Rome through those metal pipes, they were actually able to build a system of metal pipes that brought running water, hot and cold running water, into people's homes. So not just into the city, but even into people's homes. And it was considered a miracle of modern engineering at the time, and and still to this day. I mean, how incredible is that? That 2,000 years ago, they had a system of plumbing with metal pipes that was able to bring water into people's homes, except there was one problem. And the problem was this, that the way they were able to make those pipes is because they had found a soft metal that they could shape, that they could bend. You know what that metal was? It was lead. And the problem with lead, of course, is that it contaminates your drinking water. So the Romans are piping in this drinking water over hundreds of miles into people's homes through lead pipes. And the lead from these pipes was contaminating that water and poisoning the people. In other words, the thing that the people looked to to quench their thirst and give them life was actually poisoning them, harming them, and ultimately killing them. In fact, some historians believe that at least in part, The downfall of Rome, this contributed to it, this widespread lead poisoning, which caused sickness and death and even led to a lot of birth defects in subsequent generations. You see, the lead pipes that the Romans looked to to meet their needs and to give them life were actually making them sick and killing them. And that, friends, that is a very good metaphor for what we are talking about today. The book of Proverbs puts it this way. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. There's a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. You know, in our world today, in our society, in our culture, there are certain ways of thinking 
that are really popular. You can, you can hear the mantras that people say in, in our popular culture. They say things like this. Here's what you need to do in order to have a happy and fulfilled life. Look out for number one. Prioritize yourself. Serve yourself. Climb that ladder. Take hold of what you deserve. Listen to your heart. Don't let anyone ever tell you what to do suppress, reject negative feelings and guilt. Never admit your weaknesses. Believe in yourself. Surround yourself with winners. You got to push the losers to the side. If somebody ever hurts you, never forgive. Never forget. Cut that person off. I have heard these mentalities, these attitudes, these ways of thinking so often. They're very popular ways of thinking in our modern age, right? In our day and age. But in contrast to these popular ways of thinking, Jesus came along and he said something that was radically different. He said, love your enemies, serve others, consider others above yourself. And Jesus said that true happiness and true fulfillment is not found in believing in yourself and trusting in yourself, but rather in confessing your sins and admitting your shortcomings and believing in and trusting in him and what he did for you in his life and his death and his resurrection because he did something for you that you could never do for yourself. And Jesus said that true happiness is not found in seeking your own fulfillment, but in laying down your life. He said that true freedom is found in surrendering your life to God. And the irony is this, that those who seek happiness and fulfillment through the common ways of thinking that are popular in the world, they're like the Romans drinking water out of lead pipes. It might feel good. It might quench your thirst in the moment. But in the long run, it's poisoning you and it will harm you and even kill you long term. But here's the good news. God has given us his word so that we can know the way of Jesus. That's the way that leads to life rather than to death. And the title of today's message is The Message of the Cross and the Power of God. The Message of the Cross and the Power of God. And here's our sentence for today. Every week I give you a sentence. This sentence functions as our outline, but I want you to also have this be, it's kind of a standalone truth on its own. And I'd love for you to write this down. Maybe memorize it for yourself so that you have it as you go. Take a photo of it if that's what you need to do. But whatever you got to do, take it with you so that you can take this one thought with you as you go. This is a summary of this passage, and it's going to be our outline for this study. Here's our sentence for today. The message of the cross runs contrary to popular thinking, and yet everything that people truly need and ultimately desire is found in Jesus. So we're going to take that sentence. We'll repeat it a few times through our study today, and we're going to use it as we study this passage to be our outline. So let's break it down. First of all, the message of the cross. Last week, we began our study in 1 Corinthians by looking at the first half of chapter 1. And in the first half of chapter 1, Paul the Apostle addressed the disturbing report that he had received about the Corinthian church. And that disturbing report was this, that there was a civil war going on amongst the Corinthian Christians. But rather than having two warring parties fighting against each other, in the Corinthian church, there were multiple factions that were warring against one another. The Corinthian church was plagued by divisions. Now, some of their divisions were caused by a lack of truth. There were things that needed to be addressed and resolved through clear biblical teaching. And Paul's going to do that here in this letter. But there were other divisions in the Corinthian church which weren't caused by a lack of truth. Rather, they were caused by a lack of grace. 
right? There was an arrogance. There was a pride, perhaps an unwillingness to forgive and reconcile that led to the divisions in the church. And here in this letter, Paul is making an impassioned appeal that as followers of Jesus, we would be full of both grace and truth. Now, in the first half of chapter one, Paul called the Corinthians to be united around the higher calling that they had in Jesus. And Paul reminded them that the higher calling they had in Jesus is found in the message of the gospel, the message of the gospel. But that begs a question, doesn't it? What exactly is the message of the gospel. And how does it unite us? That's what Paul's going to talk about here in the second half of chapter 1. He says, starting in verse 17, he says this, For Christ did not send me, send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. The central message of Christianity is something we call the gospel. Now that word gospel, it simply means good news, the good news. And what Paul is saying here is this, the message of the gospel, the good news that we believe and that we proclaim is the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. And he says here, that message is inherently powerful. We don't have to change the message in order to get people to believe it. We don't have to twist their arm. We don't have to update it to, to make it, you know, match modern sensibilities. We don't have to dress it up to make it more palatable for people. No. In fact, if you do those things, Paul says, you are actually taking away from the message of the cross. You're taking away from its power and away from its truth. See, what is needed is for this message to be shared in simplicity and in clarity. And here's why. Because he says in verse 18, the message of the cross, while it's foolishness to those who are perishing, to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now I want to focus on the second half of that statement first, and then we'll go back and look at the first half. The second half of that statement says this, what is the message of the cross? Paul says the message of the cross is what? It is the power of God for our salvation. This is very similar to what Paul says in another letter he wrote, the letter to the Romans, where he says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Now I want you to notice something. There's two phrases here, the message of the cross and the gospel. And these two phrases, the gospel and the message of the cross, they are synonymous. They are used interchangeably. In other words, the message of the cross is the gospel. And the gospel is the message of the cross. Now that's really important because one thing I've noticed is this, that many Christians, they know that sharing their faith with other people is probably a good thing to do, but they're not exactly sure how to do it, right? They're, they're not exactly sure if they were put in a situation where they had an opportunity or, or how do you even begin? What do you say to somebody in order to share your faith? A lot of Christians are, are not totally sure. Now, maybe they want to do it. Maybe you want to do it, but you aren't quite sure what you would say in that situation. And related to that, many people I've met struggle with being able to clearly and simply articulate what exactly is the core or the essence of Christianity. What is the core? What is the essence? We often use this word gospel, right? We believe the gospel. We want to spread the gospel. But if I were to ask you, what is the gospel? What would you say? If someone asked you to define for them, what is the gospel? Would you be able to do that? What would you say to them? And I would even challenge you, if you have a notebook in front of you, maybe, maybe while you're listening, just jot down, what would you say? 
How would you articulate what is the message of the gospel in just a few sentences? Now, a friend of mine, he's a pastor, and he was curious about this. He was curious about, you know, where's his church at? Where are his people that he ministers to at? Would they be able to explain accurately and articulate clearly what exactly is the gospel? So he made a post on social media. And in this post, he asked people in his church to respond in the comments with how they would answer that question. In one or two sentences, what is the gospel? Now, again, I want to encourage all of you to think that through. I think that's a great exercise. Consider how you would answer that question in one or two sentences. What is the gospel? Now, it's a good exercise for this reason, because if the gospel is the core message of Christianity, and if the gospel is what you must believe in order to be saved, and if the gospel is what Jesus called his followers to spread throughout the world, then don't you think it's worth taking some time to make sure that we clearly understand what it is and how we would clearly explain it to somebody else? Well, listen, here are some of the uh, responses that my friend received in the comments on his post. One person said this, the message of the gospel is, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Another person said, the gospel is, God does not condemn you. Go and sin no more. Another person responded and said, the message of the gospel is, Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Someone else responded and said, the message of the gospel is, you must be born again. Still another person responded and said, this is the message of the gospel. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. What do you guys think of those responses? Good responses? Bad? What do you think? Well, I'll tell you what. All of those responses came directly from the Bible, didn't they? They're direct quotations from the Bible. In fact, several of them are direct quotations from Jesus. They're literally things that Jesus said. And yet, I would argue that none of those responses are actually the gospel itself. They're not the gospel itself. They're good things, but they're not the gospel. You see, what Jesus is telling us here, or sorry, what Paul is telling us here in 1 Corinthians verse 17 and 18, as well as over in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, what he's telling us is this. The message of the gospel is the message of the cross. And therefore, in order to share the gospel, you have to talk about the cross. It's impossible to share the gospel without talking about what happened to Jesus on the cross and what it means for us. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Hey, friends, let me put it this way. Preaching a high moral standard is not the gospel. It may be a good thing to do, but it's not the gospel. Telling people what God requires of them, that's not the gospel. Talking about obedience to God and submission to God also, that's not the gospel. Encouraging people to be kind to others. It's a good thing, but it's not the gospel. The gospel is the good news of what God did for you through the death of Jesus on the cross. Now, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't talk about those other things. We absolutely should in the right time and in the right place. But we need to understand that while those are good things, they are not the gospel. The gospel is not the message of what you need to do for God. It is rather the good news of what God has done for you in Jesus on the cross. 
And Paul tells us the message of the cross. You know what it is, he says? It is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. It is the power of God. He doesn't, it doesn't just tell us about the power of God. It doesn't just teach us something about God's power. No, this message is the power of God. There is power in this message when it is heard and received by faith. It is God's power to save your soul and transform you into a child of God. So what is the message of the cross? Simply put, it's this. It's the message that the death of Jesus on the cross was an atoning sacrifice that paid the price for your sins. And through his death on the cross, Jesus took the judgment for your sins in your place. And as a result of that, you can be forgiven. You can be redeemed. You can be reconciled to relationship with God. You can have eternal life. The message of the cross is that Jesus' death was not a tragedy. It was not an accident. It was the plan of God done in order to redeem the world from the curse of sin and death because Jesus was the promised Messiah, the Savior King, who was God himself come to earth to redeem his people and establish his kingdom. And on the cross, Jesus redeemed us from the curse of sin and death by taking that curse upon himself in order to set us free. And the reason he did all of it is because he loves you. Friends, that is the message of the cross. And that brings us to the next part of our sentence. The message of the cross, it runs contrary to popular thinking. It runs contrary to popular thinking. You see, even though the message of the cross is God's power for salvation for all who believe, Paul points out in verse 18 that to many people who do not believe, the message of the cross is foolishness. It's foolishness. Now listen, in order to understand uh, this, you need to understand that for people in the ancient world, the cross was a terrible instrument of torture and execution. To be executed on a cross was considered the most shameful way you could possibly die. You see, the thing about crucifixion was it didn't kill you right away. In fact, it was designed to not kill you right away. It was designed to prolong your suffering, to make you suffer as much as possible for as long as possible. And for that reason, crucifixion was reserved for only the very worst kinds of criminals. Crucifixion was so terrible that the Roman government did not allow its own citizens to be crucified by execution. It was something they did to people who had no rights, who were not citizens. It was something they did to slaves and foreigners, murderers, rebels, child abusers. It was considered too brutal, too inhumane to be done to a person who was a Roman citizen. In fact, Cicero, the, the Roman statesman and philosopher, here's what he said about crucifixion and the cross. He said, crucifixion is so horrible that the word cross should never be mentioned in polite society, right? It's like talking about a car accident at a dinner party. It's just uncouth. It's, it's, it's not something you should ever bring up. In fact, here's what Cicero said. He said, let the word cross be far removed from not only the bodies of Roman citizens, but even their thoughts, their eyes, and their ears. For the Jewish people in particular, to be crucified on a cross had an extra element to it that made it considerably worse. They considered it a fate worse than death to be crucified on a cross. And here's why. Because according to the Jewish scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, anyone who was killed by being hanged upon a tree was considered accursed. And so just imagine, 
If you told somebody back then that you were a follower of Jesus, a follower of a man who had been killed on a cross by crucifixion, that person who heard you, they would have thought, whoa, like, what, what are you saying this to me for? Like, that, that's probably something you should keep to yourself. I mean, even if he was innocent, that's not something you want to go around advertising. That, that's humiliating. But here's what's interesting. For the early Christians, the fact that Jesus had been killed on a cross was not something they tried to hide. In fact, the symbol of the cross became the main symbol that they used to identify themselves. They were identifying themselves with this symbol, the cross, which is weird because the cross was generally considered the ultimate symbol of humiliation and defeat. And the message that the early Christians embraced, the message they wanted to share and broadcast to the world was what they called the good news of Christ and him crucified. Now for onlookers, both Jews and Greeks, this would have been a very hard pill to swallow. Paul says that much in verse 22. Look down there. Verse 22 and 23. He says, Jews demand a sign. Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. Paul knew that the message of the cross was a hard one for a lot of people to accept. For the Jews, the idea of a crucified Messiah was a stumbling block. The idea that the long-awaited Messiah had come and he had been crucified was extremely difficult for them to accept. They, accept, they expected that when the Messiah came, he was going to come and he was going to whoop up on the Romans, not be killed by the Romans, especially not by crucifixion. For the Greeks, the idea that you could be saved through the death of an executed Jew seemed ridiculous. The, the Greeks worshipped reason. They believed that if there was a God out there, God was the ultimate source of rationality and reason. So the idea that God would come to earth as a human being, that he would allow himself to be beaten, mocked, rejected, and crucified, it seemed completely ridiculous. They couldn't wrap their heads around it. It seemed completely unreasonable. What kind of God would do something like that? The Greek gods that they, had, that they worshipped, those gods created human beings in order to serve them. They didn't serve people, right? The, the Greek gods would never subject themselves to the humiliation of death at the hands of evil men, and they would never sacrifice themselves to save guilty people. So for both the Jews and the Greeks, who were the two main people groups who lived in Corinth, the message of the cross ran contrary to their popular thinking. And therefore, it was hard for them to accept. But listen, just as the message of the cross ran contrary to the popular thinking back then, the message of the cross also runs contrary to popular thinking today. Do you know that? For example, the message of the cross requires you to admit that you are a sinner, that you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's not a very popular message. In fact, in many churches, they try to get rid of words like sin and stuff like that because it's, so, it's, it's negative connotation, right? You don't want to bum people out. And the message of the cross, you know what? It runs contrary to popular thinking because it requires you to admit that you are powerless to save yourself. And that is why in his letter to the Galatians, Paul refers to the gospel as the offense of the cross, Think about that. He's calling the gospel the offense of the cross. Why? Because it offends our, our sensibilities 
by telling us that we are sinners who need a Savior and we cannot save ourselves. In order to receive this salvation, you have to humble yourself before God. Another part of the offense of the cross is that the message of the gospel is exceedingly simple. That's part of the offense. You know that? That it's exceedingly simple. It's so simple that even a child can understand it and believe it. You don't have to be a genius to understand it. And many people struggle with that because we like to think of ourselves as, as pretty smart, right? Genius people. And sometimes we can be too smart for the gospel. Some people can be, right? Because it's so simple. Look at what Paul says in verse 19 through 22. He says, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discerning of the discerning I will the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. You see, many people in Corinth seem to believe that in order to find God, you had to be really smart. You had to be really smart. And so they would devote their whole lives to the study of philosophy, hoping to somehow discover the divine, somehow attain intellectual enlightenment. And yet God chose to bring salvation, Paul says, in a way that was exceedingly simple and straightforward in a way that even a child can comprehend it and grasp it and understand it. It's so simple that even people with developmental disabilities can understand it and embrace it and believe it. You can spend a lifetime. This is what's so interesting about the gospel and the study of God. We call it theology. You can spend a lifetime studying about God and about the Bible and following Jesus. But the message of the cross is pretty straightforward. And for some people, that's what makes it hard to accept. That's the hurdle for them, is that it's so simple. For some people, it's hard to accept that all you have to do in order to be saved is just believe and trust in what Jesus accomplished for you on the cross. A lot of people balk at that. They say, wait a second, there must be something more, right? Surely there's got to be some hoops that I need to jump through, something I need to attain. It can't be so simple as just believing and trusting what Jesus did for me, can it? And yet it is. Another part of the offense of the cross is that it says that the reason that God saved you was not because of something awesome about you. It isn't because you were awesomer than the other people who don't know God. No, no, no. It was a work of God's grace. Look at what it says in verse 26 through 29. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Now just pause there for a second. Remember that the Corinthians had a problem with boasting and fighting with each other about who was more awesome. I'm more awesome than you are. I'm smarter than you are. I'm more spiritual than you are. And Paul is taking a pin and popping a hole in their inflated heads and saying, guys, look at yourself. You're not that great. Okay, let's be clear. You're not that great. You're not that smart. You're not that good looking. That is not why God chose you. But he says, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Listen, the reason why God called you to himself, the reason why Jesus gave his life for you was not because you're smarter or cooler 
or, or anything else than other people. It was simply an act of his grace. It was completely undeserved. It was totally unearned. It was his grace to you. You can't take credit for it in any way. The message of the cross leaves no room for pride and arrogance. And again, remember, pride and arrogance were the problems that the Corinthian Christians struggled with. Pride and arrogance were at the root of the divisions in the Corinthian church. But here's the deal. When you really embrace the message of the cross, on the one hand, it forces you to be incredibly humble, but on the other hand, it causes you to be incredibly confident. Did you know that? So on the one hand, it humbles you, but on the other hand, it fills you with an incredible sense of confidence. And here's why. Because the message of the cross is ultimately the message that God loves you. He does. He loves you so much, and he has redeemed you through the cross. And if you put your faith in what Jesus did for you, God seals you and he makes you his own. He adopts you as his child. He places his spirit inside of you. And therefore, you can be incredibly confident because there is nothing, neither in life nor in death, that can ever touch you, right? If you've been redeemed and now God has promised that he will cause all things, even the bad things, to work together for your ultimate good and for his ultimate glory, and that brings us to the end of our sentence here, which is this. The message of the cross runs contrary to popular thinking. And yet, everything that people truly need and ultimately desire is found in Jesus. It's found in Jesus. Look again at verse 22. For Jews demand a sign and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, he is Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Here's what he's saying. Here's the irony of the gospel, right? If you follow the popular thinking of the world, right? If you follow the popular thinking of the world, you will come up empty. The promises in these modern mantras, right? These ways of thinking that are popular in the world, they will not deliver what they promise you. But on the other hand, if you turn to Jesus, you will find in him everything that you truly need and everything that you ultimately desire. That was true for people back then and it's true for people today. Think about it. The Jews were looking for a sign of God's power, and therefore, they, were, they stumbled upon this idea of a crucified Messiah. That was hard for them to get over. And because of that, they never found the sign of God's power that they were looking for. But if they would have turned to Jesus, they would have discovered the power of God for salvation for all who believe. They would have found in Jesus the ultimate source, the ultimate form of power. Now, on the other hand, the Greeks, they were looking for knowledge and wisdom that would save their souls. And they didn't find it. But if they turned to Jesus, they would have found in him the divine wisdom that they were looking for. As Paul writes to the Colossians, he says, in him, that's in Jesus, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, which is why Paul says here in verse 30, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. And Christ Jesus, who is he? He became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Everything that you truly need and everything that you ultimately desire is found in Jesus. If you go back to what we talked about earlier, about how the popular ways of thinking in our own day and age, what are they? 
Prioritize yourself. Serve yourself. Listen to your heart. Take what you deserve. Believe in yourself. Don't associate with losers. Never admit your weaknesses. What are the goals of those ways of thinking? What are the purposes? What are are those people hoping to achieve? What they're hoping to achieve, the goal is to be happy and fulfilled in life. And yet, if you actually follow those advices, right, those modern popular ways of thinking, it's like the Romans drinking water out of lead pipes. It might feel good in the moment, but eventually it's poisoning you and it's going to kill you. But on the other hand, If you embrace the message of the cross, if you humble yourself before God and you confess your sins and you confess that you cannot save yourself, and if you look with faith upon Jesus and what he did for you by taking your sins upon himself on the cross so that you could be forgiven, redeemed, and justified before God, the beautiful irony of the gospel is this. You will find in him everything that you ultimately need and everything that your heart truly desires. You will find in him righteousness, sanctification, redemption, everything that you truly need. And in him, you also find everything that you ultimately desire. You will find in him purpose, meaning, strength, companionship, pleasure, fulfillment, and joy. And in Jesus, you will find these things, not momentarily, but you will find them in a way, the only way that actually lasts. And that is why Paul says in verse 31, so that as it is written, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Remember, the problem of the Christians in Corinth, they had a problem with arrogance. They had a tendency to boast about how awesome they were and how they were better than others. But Paul is reminding them, the message of the cross leaves no room for boasting in ourselves. What are you going to boast about? That you sinned a bunch and Jesus had to come and and save you? That's what you're going to boast about? Instead, Paul says, look, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. It's not how great I am. It's look how great Jesus is. Now, on the one hand, we can make the mistake of boasting in the wrong thing, like the Corinthians did, boasting ourselves. But you know what? I think there's another way that we can mess this up, and that's this. We can fail to boast at all. Have you ever thought about that? So on the one hand, we can boast in ourselves. That's not good. But you know what else is not good? Not boasting at all, right? It's a good thing to boast about Jesus and what he has done for you. Here's what Paul's telling us here. Look, Don't be ashamed of Jesus on the one hand. And on the other hand, don't boast about yourself. And don't be proud of yourself and ashamed of Jesus. Rather, be proud of Jesus and boast about what he has done for you. Some people around you are going to think that the message of the cross is total foolishness. But you know what? That's because they don't yet see. But you know what else? God wants to use you to help them see. Remember, the gospel, Paul told us, is the message of the cross. And that message is the power of God for salvation for those who believe. How can they believe if they never hear the message? And how will they ever hear the message unless somebody shares it with them? You see, one of the most effective ways that you can do that is by boasting in the Lord, telling people about the great things that God has done in your life. And I want to challenge you to do that this week. I want to challenge you that at some point this coming week, I want to challenge you to boast about the Lord in your conversations. I want you to tell somebody about something that God has done in your life. Boast about the Lord. Well, listen, maybe there are some of you who have been looking for what you need and what you desire according to the popular thinking of this world. And as a result, it has left you empty and sick. I want to invite you today to embrace the message of the cross.
Friends, the message of the cross runs contrary to popular thinking, and yet everything that people truly need and ultimately desire is found in Jesus. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Make sure to tap the subscribe button if you would like to have new messages delivered to your device every week when they are released. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support our ministry, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or by giving a donation to our church on our website at whitefieldschurch.com. 